We are in, if you'd like to open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. We are working through the Sermon on the Mount, right? You guys enjoying it? Kind of? All right. Today I think will be encouraging, and I really believe we're going to see some freedom today. I think there's going to be some people getting set free. Maybe this morning, maybe in the next couple weeks, uh, but that's what God wants, so that's where we're going. So, uh, we just, again, by way of review, let's make sure we're up to speed. I keep going back to what are referred to as the Beatitudes, what we're calling the eight values, the eight values that we need to cultivate in our heart because they're so important. Humility, mourning over sin, especially others, not just our own. Gentleness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, uh, mercy, purity of heart, being a peacemaker, and the fear of the Lord, is su such that even in the midst of persecution, it's more important that we please God than we please men. And we said there were five internal enemies. We're going to talk a little bit about what I think is an external enemy today. Uh, but there are five internal enemies, stuff that just comes with our flesh. You don't even have to ask for it. Uh, Internal enemies of the eight values, anger, lusts, religious performance, demand for justice, right to withhold love, or believing that we have the right to withhold love. And then we talked about the five practices that cultivate these eight values and actually war against those five internal enemies. Serving, prayer, forgiveness, self-denial, and generosity. If you missed any of that and any of that's intriguing to you, all those teachings are online. Uh, you can go and listen to them and uh, be just as annoyed as the rest of us were when we heard them the first time. Okay, now, so this morning's title, uh, One Demonic Attack. I don't mean to imply there is only one demonic attack. Uh, there are lots of them. And uh, you guys, we all have different ones, right? Uh, the devils that attack you might not be the devils that attack me. We all have our own battles. We all have our own strengths and our own weaknesses. What I want you to see about this one is this was one that everyone will experience. Everyone will be attacked by this at some point in their life uh, or regularly and by varying degrees, often profound. It is a profound attack in the earth right now. And so uh, we all need to know how to handle this. And so we're going to talk about this. And this is the remainder of Matthew 6. Uh, we're going to look at 25 through 34. Uh, this one demonic attack is, pick your word, anxiety, worry, fear. Uh, those are the three most common terms that we use for this. Uh, I assume everyone here knows what I'm talking about in an experiential way. Yeah? Okay, so let's find out what we do about this, because this is going to happen. We're going to be attacked. And I think it's going to get worse, not better, in the earth. And so we need to get better at handling it so we don't get worse. Did that make sense? So, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Let's read through it real quickly first. So Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. And then he gets specific. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So let's note that he's talking about primarily food and clothing here, although I think we can go beyond that. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. In other words, I've, I, I've talked to a lot of birds, because um, they show up in my yard for no reason, and I've asked them, and none of them seem to be worried about what they're going to eat. They just, they, just don't, they just don't care. They just, they're very irresponsible. They just flit around and sing. That's all they do. So uh, I think that's the point he's making here. Uh, they don't starve, and they don't worry about whether or not they're going to starve. Uh, where am I at? Uh, okay, uh, look at the birds. And then he says, are, not, are you not of more value than they? If God's going to take care of birds, he's probably going to take care of us. Fairly simple logic, right? Uh, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Uh, so he's saying you can't make yourself taller or shorter or anything just by worrying. 
talks about the ineffectiveness of it. So why do you worry about clothing? And then he's going to make another analogy. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't worry. Uh, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Or was not arrayed like one of these. He's saying, I put more effort into how pretty lilies are than how pretty I made Solomon's clothing. Right? And we just toss those away. Um, now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Let's hang on to that. We'll get back to that. Because that, that's like, really? You know? O you of little faith? It sounds kind of extreme. But he uses that term intentionally. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. The people that don't know him worry about this because they don't know he can help them. They have to take care of themselves. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He is not ignorant. He knows your needs. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Very clear priority stated there. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you got enough to deal with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. There'll be new stuff, right? And we've experienced that as well. So let's get into this, and I want to break down a little bit. And uh, it's clear he's talking about worry. He says it about eight times. So uh, let's find out how we not worry. Because it's one thing for me to stand up here and say, you know, don't worry, be happy. Uh, it's another to do it, isn't it? Just putting the song on the radio doesn't get you there all the time. And so how do we do this? Now, the message is clear. Do not worry about your life, verse 25. Do not worry about your life. And then jumping down to verse 33, uh, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, worry about or focus on your life in him. Do not worry about your life. Worry about your life in him. That's what he's saying. And then he says, and your life will be added to you, right? It's the exact same message that we saw last week when we talked about Matthew 16, 25. Uh, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the exact same message. Whoever worries about his life is going to end up losing what he's worrying about. Whoever worries more about his life than me will end up finding that life because Jesus will do verse 33. I'll add all these things. If you'll worry about my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll take care of your food and clothing. I'll add all these things. It's the exact same message. So we get the message. So we got to talk about how do we live this. And I want to point out this passage starts out with the word therefore. That is always an indication that we should pay attention to what he just said before this so that that's what the therefore is there for, right? So, that, so we know this is linking back. And if you recall from last week, what he said before verse 25 is, you cannot serve God and money. It makes this a faith issue. Um, and we talked last week about how it's a self-reliance versus trusting God issue. This is a faith issue. You can't serve God and money. You can't trust God and rely on yourself. And pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all that good stuff, right? And so this is what's going on. And again, I, I highlighted this when we read through verse 30. Um, if God so close the grass, how will he not much more close you? Oh, you of little faith. He explicitly makes this a faith issue. And so we need to think about that. And here's what I think about that. I think the implication is that if we choose to love money rather than God, or probably a better way to say it, if we tr choose self-reliance over truly trusting in God, it will probably end in anxiety. Has anyone tried that? And did it end in anxiety? Huh. So it seems like this is a good supposition on my part. Uh, if we rely on ourselves, we end up worrying a lot about stuff, don't we? Right? Because... 
uh, well, you guys get it. I don't have to belabor that point. If we make the wrong choice, if we don't learn how to trust God, and we do have to learn how to trust God. It's not just a decision we make one day because uh, everything in us wants to not. We still want to cling to self-reliance. And so uh, if we make the wrong decision, we'll end up in anxiety. Anxiety can kind of be considered a barometer of how well we're doing at trusting God in some ways. Now, again, I know that people struggle on various levels, and, and as I've already pointed out, this is also a demonic attack. So it can be a, demo, a barometer of how much you're being attacked. And we can, we're going to talk about that as well. But because it's a faith issue, we want to look at it in terms of faith. And I want to remind you of something. I taught you this, I think, in June. Um, but I'm going to remind you of this because it's very important. Because it's sometimes when we use the word faith, when we start talking about faith, we forget that we're talking about faith in Him, not faith in our faith. You understand the difference? We're talking about faith in Jesus. Sometimes, especially in the charismatic church, we want to have faith in our faith. If I have enough faith, I can do stuff. Right? If I have enough faith, I can move mountains. And so we'll end up getting caught in this faith in our faith thing instead of faith in Him. We have to remember, this is faith in Him. This isn't faith to do what I want. This is faith to do what He said with his help. He's actually doing it. We're just, we're just his little helpers, right? So uh, faith in him. And this is not about some abstract power that we attain to through our faith. This is the power that is in Christ that we access by faith in him. And so it is a lot more about obedience than about mustering up enough faith. Let me show you where we talk about this. You remember in Luke chapter 17, if you, and this was, again, it was back in June, so you may not. But in Luke uh, chapter 17, the apostles go, hey, Jesus, increase our faith. And he basically says, you don't need a lot of faith. You need to learn how to obey. Now, here's how he says it. They say, increase our faith. He says, if you have the face of a mustard seed, which is very little, you can tell mountains to be moved and cast into the sea. And then he segues into this. It almost looks like a non sequitur. It's a weird thing. And then he starts telling about it. You know, hey, when you come home, do you uh, sit, tell your servants to sit down and feed them? Or do you expect them to feed you and then they can take care of themselves later? You, you get it? What's that got to do with faith? Well, it's about obedience. He's basically communicating to them, your faith isn't for you to do you know, cast mountains in the sea, your faith is to be my servants, to obey me. And so we have to remember as we're talking about this that faith is about doing what he tells us to do, about our calling, about obeying him. Does that make sense? All right. So that being reminded, the question is, can he be trusted to do his part? Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All the things you're worrying about, I'll take care of. Can we really trust God to do that? Now, before you answer out loud, he's listening. <laughs> right? Because we know the right answer, but moment by moment, when it comes, you know, You'll say yes, and then you'll come home, and your kid will come and say, hey, Mom, I want to do this, or hey, Dad, I think this is, you know, and you're, dang it, I don't know if I can trust God with this one, right? Or your boss, or your job, or that bill, or whatever. And so this is going to get tested. The enemy's going to test this. Can we really trust God that if we prioritize his kingdom and his righteousness, he will take care of the things that we're worried about? That's the question. Now, I want to go back to that phrase, O ye of little faith. I thought it was interesting that he stuck that in there because he uses that phrase, other than the Sermon on the Mount, he only uses it that we have in Scripture. He might have used it all the time. It might have just been something he said to the apostles like every day. Uh, and I could totally see that. But, um, you know, from <laughs> he could say it to me every day. Uh, but there are three times he says it in Matthew. And they each are in a different context. And so I want to look at those 
because one of them is in the context of provision, one of them is in the context of protection, and one of them is in the context of power. And these are the three things I think we get worried about. Can God really provide for me, or do I have to take care of myself? Can God really protect me, or do I have to take care of myself? Can God really empower me, or do I have to kind of figure out a way to get this thing done myself, right? And we see those. I'll just go through them real quickly so you see I'm not lying to you. In uh, Matthew 16, 8, the provision one, uh, Jesus has told them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and they think he's talking about bread. He's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees. Uh, and they said, uh, Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Because they thought, oh, man, we didn't bring bread. We're in trouble now. We're not going to eat because we were supposed to bring bread. That was our job. He does miracles. We bring the bread. We forgot. Everyone's going to starve. And Jesus goes, hey, guys, you remember the 5,000 and how we, we stole the kids' lunch and fed everybody? Right? Oh, well, Peter. Some, I forget which one. One of the apostles. They knew. They, they didn't know what was going on, but they knew that kid had food. Uh, I don't want to impugn anyone, but this kid does have lunch. Send the others away. All right. Uh, anyway, they were worried about, they thought it was about providing. And God said, you have a little faith. Have you not learned that if you are on the road with me, if we're walking together, now that's a key caveat. If you're in my troop and we're walking together, I'm going to make sure you get fed. Okay. The next one. In Matthew 8, was about protection. They're in a boat, and Jesus is asleep, and there's a big storm, and they're annoyed that they think they're going to die and that Jesus is going to sleep through it, right? Uh, and that would bother me, too. Not just the dying part, but seriously, you're going to sleep through me dying. What's up with that? <laughs> and he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a calm. And they had a new perspective immediately, <laughs> right? Whoa. So, can we really trust Jesus to protect us when we're in his boat? Again, a significant caveat. When we're in his boat, we're on his journey, we're in his vehicle, whatever that is, can we trust him to protect us? That's the question. And then the third one was power. Peter uh, Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and that freaks them out a little bit, right? And Peter Peter says the most interesting things. I, I'm going to see if I can hang out with him some in heaven and see if he gets in as much trouble there as he did on earth. Uh, so Jesus is walking by, and they're, they're nervous, and they think it's a ghost maybe. And, and Jesus says, hey, don't worry, guys, it's me. I just, I'm headed over there. I, it's faster to walk, but, uh, you know, if you want... And so Peter goes, hey, if it's you, tell me to come to you, which I love because I don't know if he had an ulterior motive on it. I don't know if he's thinking in the back of his head, I think I'd like to try that walking on water thing. That looks cool. So he tells, says, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And so he gets out. And we forget this part because uh, real fast you go to the sink part. Uh, but he walked on water at least a few steps. Uh, and until he started looking at the waves, and then he started to sink. When he got to looking at the waves, he got his focus off. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, it says, and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so he's dealing with, why did you doubt that I would empower you, enable you to walk? Now, again, I take you back to the obedience thing in faith. It's not, oh, you of little faith, why can't you walk on water? Right? It's not like if you can't, if I take you all down to the ocean day and go, everybody walk over, you know, 100 feet out, and I get to say, oh, you have a little faith if none of you, you know, stay on top. <laughs> it's because Jesus specifically said, come to me. So he, he had a calling. It's can we believe that if Jesus calls us to something, he will empower us to do that thing. Now, most of us, he hasn't called to walk on water today, so I won't take you out the ocean. 
But if he does, can we believe that he will empower us? And so that's the thing. Can I believe that when Jesus tells me to do something, he actually will back me with his power? He will give me the power to do it, whatever that is. And so these are the questions that we're asking ourselves. Can he be trusted to do his part uh, so that we can leave it to him and not worry? And what I want you to see is this is the pervasive demonic attack that is going on. Um, the reason we are being attacked in this area is because it will discourage us. It will worry and fear will remove our courage to walk on water, whatever that means. Whatever, you know, for some of you, walking on water is just getting up and talking at the mic. God told me to come up here and say this, right? And sometimes it takes courage or whatever other calling you have. And so the devil will attack all of us because he wants to discourage us. He's going to tell you that God won't protect you, that God won't provide for you, and that God won't empower you. You're going to step out there in faith and look stupid because God's going to leave you hanging, just like Peter. Don't act surprised. Has the devil said those things to you? Am I the first one to tell you that? No. You've heard that voice, haven't you? That's the devil. And one, and I'm not going to do this today because this is a whole other teaching. I did this last spring. We talked about spiritual warfare. You must win this war because it's a, a demonic attack with Scripture. You must war with the Scriptures. You must war with the Word. I don't have time to do that whole separate teaching today. Maybe we'll do it again in the future. It's back in the spring somewhere. We talked about spiritual warfare. You won't win just by trying to tough it out and change your mind. You have to resist the devil with Scripture, just like Jesus did in Matthew 4 when he was led in the wilderness and tempted. It is written. It is written. It is written. you got to do that. But the other thing is this. You have to recognize it's a demonic attack. My experience is Ah, probably better than half the time. Now, not every time you're worried is it a demonic attack. It might just be your flesh. It might be, you know, just something real going on that it's hard not to worry about. But a lot of the times, I think better than half the time, is just a demonic attack, especially if it's profound, if it's anxiety or panic attacks, things like that. That's demonic. And the reason people don't get free is they are spending, and this is the devil too, is they're spending all their time worrying about and trying to figure out why is this happening what am i doing wrong what is, is it something i ate is it something i didn't eat is it something is it in my family is it this is it that what can i do about it i should talk to this guy i should talk to that guy and the devil's having a blast because you don't even suspect him and so you don't turn and battle with the word and confront him and he likes it that way. And so he's not going to announce, this is me, even though he's having a good time. He will let you think it's anything but him. And the world will help. Uh, because I, I don't know about you guys. I just went and did my annual doctor thing where, you know, she tries to talk me into eating better. And um, <laughs> every time I go, every year I go, I have to fail a little thing where she... All the questions, it should just be one question. Are you depressed and do you want drugs? Uh, but there's like 12 questions to find out, am I depressed and do I need drugs? Uh, now, again, I'm not making fun of depression. It's real. It's pervasive. But what does it say about our culture when every time I go to the doctor, they have to check to see if I'm depressed? They aren't checking for it. They're just checking for that. Every time, every year. Are you depressed this year? All right, we'll check next year. Right? So it's pervasive, and we have to see, we have to recognize that it's an attack. Now, again, we have to war with Scripture. We have to fight it. I know it's real. I know for some of you, uh, this is a huge battle. It was a huge battle, not depression, anxiety. It was a huge battle for Rachel at one point. Um, and, you know, she's told her story. You can hear it another time. Uh, it's really good. Uh, I get it. I get it. It's a battle. But, you know, we're not being compassionate with one another if we, if we just go, well, I know it's hard, 
so I'm not going to say anything. Uh, yeah, it's a battle. I'll, well, we'll fight with you, but I'm not going to stand with you to just ignore that it's a battle. Right. You know? And so we need to do this. We need to help one another. So uh, let's talk about other than warring with the word, which is absolutely essential. Other than that, let's talk about some practical steps that I believe will help us to deal with uh, anxiety and worry and fear. And I'm, I'm virtually certain there are people in this room right now uh, dealing with this on all different levels, from profound to mild. It's, it's, just, it's just humans. And it's, it's, you know, the church as well. And so I know we're dealing with this stuff, so let's talk about how we do better. Now, again, I'm going to hit these same three areas, provision, protection, and power. And let's look at it this way. For the first one, uh, for provision, one of the ways, a practical step, that you can build your faith that God will actually provide for you is to develop contentment. Now that sounds... Well, anyway, let's just talk about that. See, developing contentment uh, has a lot to do with managing expectations, right? Uh, the more expectations you have, the more or less disappointed you're likely to be. No brainer. The more expectations I have, the more of my expectations that go unmet, the more likely I am to be upset or anxious. And so managing our expectations is part of this. A lot of the problem we have with others is we have expectations of how others are going to behave, and they don't meet them. Some of you have not met my expectations. I'm completely certain I've not met some of your expectations. Maybe right now. Nevertheless, what if we had less expectations of one another? What if we gave one another more grace? Would that be better for us? Yeah. Because I'm not getting bent and worried and disappointed about what's he going to do? What's he going to say? What are they going to think? I said, you be you. I'll be me. And with our own lives. See, we got to mitigate somewhat our expectations. We live in a world that uses the word entitlement a lot. Now, I'm not sure what we're entitled to. Actually, I kind of am because this next verse is going to tell us. <laughs> but, uh, but it's not as much as we think. Jesus, remember, in this whole passage, kept talking about food and clothing. Well, there's one other place where Paul talks about that in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. He says, now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just godliness, but godliness with contentment. So it's something that looks like we have to cultivate. And then he says, for he brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, which is an interesting perspective and a pretty good one. Paul's going for a zero-sum life. I started with nothing. I'd like to end with nothing because I can't take it with me, which we all know. Um, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. There you go. I will absolutely agree with you, you have a right to complain if you're starving or naked to God. Anything else, I'm not sure you have a right to. That seems to be what this is saying. Having food and clothing, we'll be content. Now, is God generous? Does God give us cars and houses and stuff like that? You know, cookies? Yeah. He's generous. Am I entitled to any of those things? No. And so I have to prioritize contentment over my desires of just my flesh or for things and stuff like that. Now, again, guys, this is a war. Um, I don't know that they teach this anymore in school. When I was going to school, we had to learn about different forms of government. Uh, we had to learn about socialism. Um, now we're learning about socialism the hard way, kind of. What I learned, and, and, this, and I'm not trying to be overly political here, but what I learned from the documents that the socialists wrote, these were the training documents, this was the manual, if you want to be a socialist, here's what you want to do. What I learned was socialism is about change 
Change doesn't happen with contented people. Contented people don't change. Therefore, to foment change, you have to stir up discontent. That's been the published plan for a hundred years. A hundred years. There is a whole element of our society that is actively working to foment discontent. Have you noticed? And so what about you? Are you going to develop contentment or discontent? Let me show you one of the subtle ways uh, this might come up. Uh, it's interesting to look at this verse in context. When Paul says, um, godliness with contentment is great gain, because the verse right after, he's talking about those who desire to become rich. Now, again, you go ahead and get rich. I don't mind. Uh, that's fine. God doesn't mind. Uh, it's the desire for it. It's the love of money. It's the pursuit of wealth above the pursuit of God that's a problem. Okay? And then right before this, he talks about some people seeing godliness as a means of gain. Now, when I say that, you're probably thinking televangelist, really nice car, maybe a private jet, and a really hot wife, right? I don't know why you'd go there. But maybe that's what you're thinking. Just maybe. But, and I don't want to impugn anyone. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, there's a, that's a stereotype. And probably no one actually totally fits that. But there's a reason that's a stereotype. There's some of that going on maybe. People who look at it as gain. Let me ask you this. What about us? Godliness is gain. Let me tell you how this works. God, I have been being godly. I've been going to church. I've been tithing. Why did my car break down? God, why did you let this bad thing happen to me? God, why am I not getting that raise? Why is that other guy getting that raise? God, why is my godliness not working out for my gain? Oops. It's the same thing, just on a different scale, isn't it? It's an attitude. So we, we don't pursue godliness as a means of gain, even from God. We pursue contentment, and we trust God. If God wants to bless, that's awesome. You want to give me a new car, God? That's great. You want to make me drive uh, an old beater? All right. I'm just obeying God. Right? Okay. Point made? You get it? And so this isn't something that just happens. We have to make a decision. We're going to develop contentment because I want to develop faith that God will provide for me and I can trust him so I can just pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's talk about the protection one. Well, what we need to develop there is reliance on God, not self-reliance, reliance on God. Now, we can all say we rely on God, uh, but you don't really know if you're relying on God until it's tested, and then you find out. And so it's good to develop practices that will help us to rely on God. And, of course, the practice, we talked about it last week, is one of the five practices that cultivate the eight values uh, is prayer. The practice of prayer is how we build reliance on God. Um, in verse 27, he says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Uh, very simple. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything, does it? Yeah. And sometimes we'll treat prayer like worrying. We'll do it. But we don't really believe it's going to accomplish anything. But that's not true. Uh, because worry doesn't accomplish anything because worry comes back to you. Prayer does accomplish because prayer goes back to him. And he can change your stature or make you whatever and move mountains and all that stuff, right? And so prayer is the answer. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Now, first of all, you have to actually believe he cares for you, that he really loves you, that you're important to him. That's also a different teaching, but I'm happy to do that one if you're having trouble with that. But it says we're to cast our cares on him. We're to make this divine exchange. God, I'm worried about this. 
I need to take this worry and put it on you because you care. And I can't do anything about it with my worry anyway. That's what we call prayer, casting our cares on him. And we need to do that. We need to be more, uh, I don't know, uh, intentional. That That's what we're doing. God, I've I, I'm got this worry. I'm going to bring it to you. I need to cast this on you. I need to go until this is not on me anymore. It's on you. And I'm going to leave it with you. I, I heard a story of a guy who would stop and write down the things he was worried about uh, someplace on, on his way home from work and leave them there. And then he could always go back and pick them up if he wanted. It's just the physical thing helped him. Casting his cares on the Lord. There they are, God. You deal with those. I'll look at them tomorrow. Now, this is exactly what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Let's read this. Uh, and again, you're noticing a lot of these words have to do with fear or anxiousness, a lot of these verses. So he starts out and says, be anxious for nothing. Now, and that's a simple sermon, right? Just stop it. Just stop being anxious. And you go, okay. Dang it, I'm worried about Pastor Tony and me being anxious. Oh, stop it. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? So be anxious for nothing, but here's how. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then there's a promise, and it's a pretty good one. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, how long do I have to pray until this happens? Yeah, until it happens. My recommendation is take your worry, take it to God in prayer, and stay there until you have his peace that was promised. That might be five minutes. That might be days. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, and you keep going back. You don't have to stay there, like, for 87 hours. Yeah. But keep going back until you are experiencing peace, till the exchange has been made. I do this all the time. It may surprise you, but sometimes, uh, uh, just the other day, in fact, it was funny because I was going to the doctor that day, and my blood pressure was high. And, uh, she's, you know, trying to talk me into eating better. And... Uh, I said, well, it might be that I just got an email this morning that I got to an answer, and I'm literally sitting here kind of stressing, you know, composing my response to that email in my head while you're taking my blood pressure. I don't know if that's affecting it, but maybe. So uh, anyway, it was the best excuse I could come up with. So uh, I have to do this all the time. I have situations, and they're stressful, and I'll go home, and I'll pray. Here's the thing. I pray until I have peace, and then I start talking to God about the situation. God, what do you think I should do? I never get good answers if I start with, God, what do you think I should do? Because I end up being led by my stress. First I get peace, then I get answers. That might be helpful to someone here today. First you get peace, then you get answers. All right? So I go do this. I go do the divine exchange. I'm going to pray until I have peace, and then we'll talk about it. Sometimes, uh, you know, you're just tired and you're worn out, and I take a nap. I've literally done this. I go, God, uh, I'm stressed out. I'm going to take a nap, and then we can talk. Uh, wake me up when you're ready. And he does. I always wake up. All right. Now, I love that he says if we'll do this divine exchange, and again, we're developing reliance on him. I can give him my cares, and he will give me his answer for the moment. If we put our reliance on him, we have this promise that he will give us peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds. Doesn't Now, here's the thing. We're talking about protection. You know, should you protect your family? Sure. Should you protect your stuff? Okay, get an alarm system. That's awesome. Yeah, protect your stuff. But primarily... Protect your heart and mind. That's, right. that's more important than your stuff. Right. right? And that's what he's saying he'll give us. If you'll do this, I'll guard your heart and mind. You still might, you know, someone still might steal your stuff, but they can't take the good stuff that's in your heart and mind away. I'll protect that with my peace if you'll keep taking your worries and giving them to me and doing that divine exchange in prayer. Now, one of the other things that helps here that you might notice is he says, be anxious for nothing, but then everything by prayer with thanksgiving. 
Thanksgiving is important because Thanksgiving, cultivating Thanksgiving builds faith. There's no way if I'm praying and I'm handing God my worries and I go, all right, it says with Thanksgiving, let's see, what can I be thankful about? Oh, here's that one time he answered prayer. I can be thankful about that. I don't know, here's that cool thing he did. I know, here's that cool thing he showed me. And before long, without even trying, I'm going, wow, God really does stuff when I pray. Look at all these things I'm thankful for. Thanksgiving is actually cultivating faith in me. It's reminding me that God comes through. And so I pray with thanksgiving. Hey, God, you remember how you solved my last problem? I got a new one. Thank you. Here you go. I'm, let me know. When you, when you give me the peace, I'll know you're ready to talk. Sometimes, you know, it might take him a minute to come up with an answer. I don't know. All right. The other thing is, he says, he gives us peace that passes understanding. Understand this is supernatural peace. If, you could, if it made sense to have it, you wouldn't have it. It wouldn't be called peace that passes understanding. This is peace that don't make sense. All right? Peace that passes understanding. Everyone's freaking out. Why aren't you freaking out? I got peace that passes understanding. You don't understand. You can't understand. Sorry. Can't explain it to you. It's Jesus stuff. It's supernatural. I know it doesn't make sense. I should be freaking out, but I'm not because I got Jesus peace. Right? And he says in John 14, 27, that he will freely give us this peace. He says, uh, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace. But to do that, we have to give him our worry. The world gives peace in a whole different way. The world gives peace through compliance. You worry about the things we're worried about. You join your worry to our worry. And, uh, and then we'll all... Come alongside you. We'll all have peace. You'll have peace in our worry. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You give me your worry. I'll give you peace. I'll give you peace that passes understanding. In the context of John 14, he's saying, I'll give you peace that you can have even while you're being persecuted. Peace while you're being persecuted. That don't make sense. That's peace that passes understanding. But we have to cultivate this reliance on him to get that. Make sense? This, by the way, when Rachel was dealing with anxiety, was, I believe, the verse she lived in. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Third one, last one. See, we got time here. Power. And uh, stay with me. This trail might seem windy, but we'll get there. Um, can we trust God to provide? Can we trust God to protect us when we're in his boat? Can we trust God to empower us? And again, talking about him empowers to do what he said not just everything just can he we trust God to empower us to do the things he's called us to do to actually help us and what I want you to see here that I'll get there in a minute the thing that's going to help us to believe that God can empower us is developing an encouraging community around us this is super important I have come to believe that the church has missed in a lot of ways, and not exclusively, but uh, we've missed the power of God because we think it's individual. You have gifts, and, I have, and you have power, and I have power, and we all have to go get the power, and then I do my power, and you do your power. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like Marvel Comics, you know. We all get a different colored outfit. Uh, it's not like that. We're more powerful together. Our gifts intertwine. We're powerful as a community, and we, I think, miss that. And that, and that it doesn't mean we don't have individual gifts and, and empowerments. It, it means that if we don't come together, we're probably not going to see them really operate like they're supposed to if we don't begin to encourage one another in these things. And so we're, it's kind of like being on a team instead of being a superhero. Just a thought. Okay, so develop encouraging community because what happens, I want to look at verse 34 here. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And the, re the way I got here is this. Is I've had experience with devils talking to me, uh, you know, and, and so have you. Um, and they love to speculate. What about this? What about that? What are you going to do if this happens? What about tomorrow? Well, I know it seems like that went well, but what if it didn't go well? What if tomorrow they come back and do this? What if this person does that? And what if when they're doing that, this thing happens, and uh, is this just me? Anybody else heard that voice? Yeah, that's how it works. That's 
worrying about tomorrow. And the devil's awesome at helping us worry about tomorrow. The very thing God told us not to do. And so that's what I put in here, this isolated speculation. He gets us alone. Uh, don't raise your hands. How many of you have spent 15 or 20 minutes by yourself just contemplating all the bad things that can happen tomorrow? Right? He just wants to take you down that trail. Let me just get you out of the herd, get you over here and wander down this what, could, what bad things could happen trail. Let me just discourage you. Take your courage, and we'll just leave you up there by yourself worrying about all the terrible things that might happen. Right? He's good. He's good at what he does. That's his job to steal courage to get us to look at the waves while we're trying to walk on water. Right? What if? What if? What if? And we've all experienced that. So you get it. So here's where, uh, why I'm talking about community. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Encourage one another daily. Why? Because that's how often he discourages us. Right? How many of you need encouraged daily? The Bible says all of us. Encourage one another daily. I love in chapter 10, it says, don't forsake the gathering together. Don't stop coming together like some have. It says, but uh, encourage one another or exhort one another. And it says, especially... As you see that day approaching, by that day he means, you know, the end times, the coming of the Lord. How many of you see that day approaching? So should we be doing more or less encouraging? Should we be gathering more or less? Right. It's very clear in the Bible, right? And so if the devil wants to isolate us and get us thinking about the future and all the bad things that can happen, uh, and the Bible says we're to gather together and encourage one another, I'm pretty sure that we need to develop an encouraging community around us to keep from being cut out of the herd by anxiety and fear and worry. It's my thoughts. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Now, this isn't always the case. I know there are some physiological causes. I know there are, you know, just, you know, there's trauma. There's things that have happened in people's lives. It's hard to get over. But a lot of the time, uh, I'll put it this way, several times I've had people come to me and say, I'm really struggling, I'm depressed. I go, what are you worried about? And they, bam, they tell me right away. So it's not, it's not depression, it's anxiety. Anxiety causes depression. Deal with the anxiety. Deal with the thing you're worried about. Probably the depression will get better. Again, I'm not prescribing here. I'm not saying that's every case. I'm saying that's common. And uh, a lot of the things that we're trying to find other solutions for, it's anxiety. It's something you're worried about. So it's important. And it says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Where are you going to get that good word? What if you had an encouraging community around you, constantly giving you good words? Now, you can try and do it yourself, and you can get the Bible, and there's good words in there. But when you're in the middle of being depressed, it's a little bit hard to give yourself a good word, isn't it? It's helpful if someone else comes along and goes, hey, I have a perspective you don't. I think you're better than you think you are. Yeah? So, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Now, so I talked about expectations and, and picturing the future. I really want to talk about this a little bit more because we can get in trouble by uh, picturing the future, by, uh, let, me, uh, well, let me give you an example. I, I keep talking about our faith is in obedience. Sometimes we, we plan our future, and then we have faith for that future. And if it wasn't exactly what God was going to do, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Uh, I talked to you in the past about Elijah and Mount Carmel. And uh, the reason this fits is because, remember, the end of and this is 1 Kings 19, the end of 1 Kings 19, uh, he ends up in pretty significant depression. He's, he's had it, right? And he had an amazing day. He called down fire from heaven. It hasn't rained three and a half years. He made it rain. He, uh, he was responsible for getting the people to say, the Lord, he is God. 
And they killed 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. It's a pretty good day, ministry-wise. Ends the day, ready for, really ready to kill himself. Okay, and God has to help him. Now, I'm going to pretend I'm him just because I can. Uh, so, let's say that was my day. I get up. I get up on Mount Carmel. I call everybody there because God told me to. I call down fire from heaven. I mock the, the priests of uh, Baal and Ashtaroth. It's hilarious. The crowd's loving it. And uh, then, then fire comes down, and they say, uh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And I got him eaten out of my hand. These people are ripe for revival. And I say, okay, it hasn't rained for three and a half years. I'm going to pray. Here comes the rain. I take off. I outrun the king's chariot to Jezreel. Jezreel is where uh, Ahab and Jezebel live. I'm going back, and in my mind, I'm thinking everything's changed. The people just got shifted. I'm going to go back to Jezreel. There's going to be revival. They're going to tell Jezebel to take a hike. We're going to, we're going to go to the temple. We're going to worship God. This is going to be an awesome revival. And I get there, and all I find is a note that says the same lady's in charge, and she wants to kill you. And I'm suddenly gone from there's going to be revival to I didn't accomplish anything. She's still in charge. And I run to the wilderness. Now, I don't know that Elijah pictured that future. I'm saying I would have. Uh, the danger of going beyond obedience to just to picturing our future and how it's going to happen, what you got to be careful about that. I'm not saying don't plan, you know, have a 501K or, you know, whatever. Or plan for retirement, do all that stuff. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> we, we have a Roth IRA. Have one of those. Uh, you know, make plans, send your kids to college, all that stuff. But, but don't, don't commit to that. Don't invest in that. Commit to the moment. That's what he's saying about don't worry about tomorrow. Commit to the calling. Now, what's interesting is when Elijah got out in the wilderness, God didn't reinforce his depression. God didn't say, yeah, Jezebel really sucks. This is a tough one. I'm sorry that you had to go up against her. He didn't even talk about it. He just went, here's three things to do. Anoint these three guys. He didn't tell him, my future is different than yours. One of those guys you anoint is going to anoint that guy, and that guy's going to have Jezebel thrown out a window. Now, I bet Elijah wasn't even imagining that future. But Elijah, uh, his legacy went on. Uh, Jezebel and all her descendants were cut off. That was God's plan. It just probably didn't happen the way Elijah thought. You ever do that? You plan the future and it doesn't happen the way you think and you get disappointed? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So... What I'm telling you is not to have plans, but to obey your calling in the moment. And don't put too much into trying to figure out the future. Because you just never know. So I have two questions that uh, I have to have answers from, from God. And ultimately, really, usually only these two. Now, I have specific questions as time goes on, and I want answers. But these are the only two I really need answered for me to be able to function. The first one is, God, am I where I am supposed to be? And the second one is, God, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And when I have answers to those two questions, I don't worry about asking them again unless he changes them. Okay? The rest of it, you know, can work out. But what that does is, if I know, God, am I supposed to be in Melbourne, Florida, here at Church on the Rock. Yeah, okay. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Yep, I actually want you to be the pastor. Okay. <laughs> Those two answers give me confidence that he will empower me to be here and be the pastor. Somehow. Right? Because, you know, you guys know, you don't always feel adequate. There's lots of times I don't feel adequate to this job. But God is. And so, I just need to know all right, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He'll take care of the rest. He'll empower me. I trust him 
to empower me to walk on this water. Uh, you know, it's not quite like Peter, but uh, and to try not to look at the waves and just keep walking. Does that make sense? And so we need encouragement from God and from each other to do that. I think to, to walk out our calling in the moment, to stay in our calling in the moment, to believe that God will empower us, we need an encouraging community. Let me just say this. It's the last thing in your notes. Uh, I want to make sure you understand not every community is encouraging. I'm not saying you just need a community. I'm saying you need an encouraging community. There are communities, there are Christian communities that will not encourage you. They will reinforce your victimhood. They will tell you uh, how bad Jezebel is and how justified you are in going out in the wilderness for a while and just hiding in a cave. And you don't need to go anoint anybody. You just take it easy because she's mean and, you know, that shouldn't have gone that way. Right? You do not want a community that will reinforce your victimhood. And for God's sake, the world is doing that. You want a community that will remind you of who you are in Christ when you don't see it. You want a community that will remind you of who you are in Christ when you don't see it because you're struggling with anxiety and worry and fear. Yeah? So, we're all going to get attacked by anxiety. I want to encourage you to develop contentment. God will provide. Develop reliance. God will protect you as you walk with Him. And develop encouragement around you. You can do what God called you to do. He'll empower you, but you don't have to do it alone. We're a team. Amen? All right. I have gone over time. Um, I'd like to blame God, but literally it was a super short Sherman sermon. He did it in three chapters, so it's probably my fault. Um, <laughs> but I, I just feel like we need this. If you'll give me just a couple more minutes, can we have the band up at least? for just a song, just one song. If you've got to go, that's fine. Um, but I just want to take five or eight more minutes because uh, I feel like God wants to set some people free this morning. And again, we all have uh, this battle to varying degrees at varying times. There's, there's probably, it's likely that there are people here that w some of this is a profound battle, that you really struggle and we want to pray for you. Maybe you haven't uh, done the war thing. Maybe just going, oh, I need to resist what the word is going to be enough. But we want to pray for you. We want to pray for people to be free. I believe God's going to set people free this morning. I want to give you one other thing. If you're here today and this is a profound struggle for you, you really struggle with anxiety or fear or worry, I want to encourage you to do this. Don't just get an encouraging community around you. Become an encourager. Basically, look the devil in the eye and go, if you're going to keep hitting me with anxiety, I'm going to go encourage people and ruin your day. Yeah. I'm telling you, that'll work for you. I may be struggling, but I'm going to go find people and encourage them. I'm going to build them up. It'll start to work. So let's stand. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We are appealing to the one who walked through crowds that wanted to stone him. We are appealing to the one who has always lived in peace, who has never, I think, experienced anxiety like this. Maybe, maybe when you were in the garden. I don't know. But Lord, you know. You know what we struggle with. You know the reality of all of it. Lord, you're the one that said, Jesus, you said who the Son sets free is free indeed. So this morning, we just take you at your word. We believe that you are the one who makes us free. We recognize the attack in the earth of anxiety and worry. And I just speak over your people this morning, freedom. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of lies. We break the power of anxiety. 
Lord, we silence the voices that want to speculate about your future and all the bad things that can happen and whys and whatnots. We break the power of lies. We break the power of anxiety. We break the power of fear. We say that your people, Jesus, this morning here are free indeed. As we worship, I just want to encourage you, feel free. If you want to pray for one another, if you want to encourage one another, if you just want to worship. Lord, we're just coming to you and taking a moment to do that divine exchange. We give you our worries and our anxieties and our fears. We receive your peace. We let the peace of God reign in our hearts. We trust that you are able to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.